Thank you very much. This morning we talked about all things new. And tonight we want to talk about the old paths. That is, what we must be doing in continuing our commitment to the timeless truth of the Word of God. What we must do to ensure that we are and we must all forever be never departing from the path to which and for which God intends for all those who love Him. And I spoke this morning about the fact that we have such glory in the newness that we have in Christ. We talked about 12 kinds of new realities from several passages of Scripture from the New Testament. And I told you that the new, for instance, the new covenant, is so much better than the old covenant. But I certainly don't want to give you the impression that there is nothing of value in the old. Because there certainly is value in staying on the right paths, the ancient paths. And that's what we want to occupy ourselves with tonight. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. I want to talk under the title of the message tonight, The Old Path is Always the Right Path. The Old Path is Always the Right Path. And I don't think there's any better place to go to find this out than to the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah. Now, of course, you know that even though this isn't directly stated in the Scripture itself, legend has it that there indeed was the nickname for Jeremiah called the Weeping Prophet. And he was a weeping prophet because of the sinfulness of his people. And that sinfulness is shown to us in the very first chapter of the prophecy of of Jeremiah. And if you look in chapter 1, even in that section of the call of God upon Jeremiah's life, you find this very condemnation of the sin of God's people. You'll see it as we work our way through the first several chapters of Jeremiah's prophecy. And you can see it right here in chapter 1. For instance, begin reading with me. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now this is God speaking to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's recalling of what God specifically told him. Verse 6, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. Remember the Lord did the same thing to Isaiah, right? Isaiah 6. Similarly here. And the Lord said to me, 
Jeremiah's words, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them. Why? Why would the Lord prophesy to Jeremiah this destruction? Here's his answer. Against all its walls and all around and against all the cities of Judah, and I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. That's why. The evil of forsaking their God. What have they done? Jeremiah describes it. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, God speaking to Jeremiah, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I... Behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So we have here in chapter 1 just an initial sense of God's anger, his fury, his wrath against the people of God because of their forsaking him. And then look in chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. This is more of what Jeremiah's prophecy says against the people of God. Therefore, Jeremiah 2.9, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend for the cross to the coasts of Cyprus and sea, or send to Kedar and example with care, and examine with care, I should say. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people, this is Yahweh speaking about his own people, the Jewish people, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And I assume that he means there, their glory, that possessive sense of the word glory, is that they've changed me. They've substituted me. I'm to be their glory. And they've substituted me for that which does not profit. 
In other words, this is a horrible exchange. They've, they've received nothing but my glory, my power, my might, my grace, my love. And they have changed that for something which does not profit. No wonder verse 12 says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is a devastating critique of the people of God. Look at verse 19. Your evil will chastise you, and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. For long ago, long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore. Very, very graphic words. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying, what God is saying through Jeremiah, is that you have played, spiritually speaking, the part of the prostitute. Verse 28. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. In other words, there's some, some sarcasm there, isn't it? Where, where are your gods? Where are they to deliver you, to save you in your time of trouble? Let them come. Let, let them deliver you. Look at chapter 3, verse 19. This is a major diatribe. Chapter 3, verse 19. I said, How I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations, and I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Surely, as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel declares the Lord. A voice on the bare heights is heard, the weeping and pleading of Israel's sons, because they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. The Hebrew word for way or path is derek. They've perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. And the the cry of the heart of God is to repent. Look at verse 22. Return. That's, that's our word for repentance. Return, O faithless sons. I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. Spiritually speaking, you're involved in, in orgies. You're, you're following after and having relations with, with false gods, foreign gods. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. It might be something like this. Truly in the Lord our God and only in Him is the salvation of Israel. 
But from our youth, the shameful thing has devoured all for which our fathers labored, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our dishonor cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. No wonder in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Verse 14. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims trouble from Mount Ephraim. Warn the nations that he is coming. Announce to Jerusalem. Besiegers come from a distant land. They shout against the cities of Judah. Like keepers of a field are they against her all around. Because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom and it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. Why? Why are they like that? I mean, they were blessed beyond measure. God had given them everything. He makes countless appeals to them. I will extend my mercy to you. I will give you my mercy. I will be that father to you. I will will be faithful and I will help you recover from your faithlessness. But why? Why? Why are they doing what they're doing in the face of all of those appeals to mercy? Verse 22, For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise, in quotes, they are wise in doing evil, but how to do good, they know not. Chapter 5, verse 3. And these chapters just go on and on and on like this. Chapter 5, verse 3. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Then I said, these are only the poor. They have no sense, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. Uh, Jeremiah is almost, in a sense, making excuses for them. Well, surely it's, it's this way. It, it has to be this way. I will go to the great and will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. But they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. Therefore a lion from the forest shall strike them down. A wolf from the desert shall devastate them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their apostasies are great. How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods... 
When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. They were well fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Verse 18. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. Now, folks, that's a, that's a verse that we call grace. Grace. Because he could have, and if he desired so, should have said, I'm done with you. I'm done with you forever. It's enough. No more. But he says, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. Captivity. Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do not fear me. Uh, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I placed the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have kept good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of their fatherless to make it prosper. And they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge on a nation such as this? An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? You know, other than these very descriptive passages, we might be able to, in our mind's eye, see the picture of old Israel, old Judah. But if we look at our own country, maybe we we don't have to wonder so much what it was really like. When we look at our world, every one of these things and more are being lived out before our very eyes. People who just shake their fist in the face of their Creator God. I mean, what's, what's the answer? What needs to happen? Look at chapter 6, verse 10. 
To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised, they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. So what does he say to the remnant? Those who haven't bowed the knee to the false gods. And there were a few, maybe just a few. But they were there. And what's God's call to them? Look at verse 16, first part of it. Thus says the Lord. Here's the answer, folks. Here's the answer for these people of old and for us now. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That's the answer. Because you see, the old path is always the right path. Look, ask, walk, and find. Look, ask, walk, and find. Now I fully recognize we're not in a theocracy like Israel, but we nevertheless stand before God, the God of the universe, and will give an account of our own individual lives before Him. And in another sense, I believe we also as a local church body will stand before God in order to give an account for what we did with the good way and whether or not we walked in that way. What God was declaring to Israel of old, I believe He's also likewise challenging us to consider this. Will we as a church continue to rely on the same old ancient paths? The good way. That's what he says. Where the good way is. And walk in it. Because if you walk in it, you'll find rest for your souls. Will we as a church body continue to take 
our stand on the foundation of the apostles and prophets as we continue to proclaim Christ Jesus as our very cornerstone? That's that's the question. That's the question of the hour. Will we choose to stand by the crossroads and ask for the old ancient paths where the good way is so that we might walk in it and find rest for our souls? And I suppose there's a valid question, and that is, why should we even consider this question? I mean, aren't we pursuing the Lord? Well, of course we are. But is that a guilt-edge guarantee that we'll always be following the Lord? There are many churches, many churches, who started out so well. And so many of them have fallen by the wayside because they did not continue perpetually to pursue where the good way was. They didn't look, they didn't see, they didn't walk, they didn't find. They didn't stay faithful. Many, many churches. They often stumble precisely because they aren't forever on a quest to find the right path. And if you combine this morning's message with tonight, it may be because for so many of them, they want to find something new. And we talked a lot about our newness in Christ this morning. And yet, I think the Achilles heel, especially the American church, is to look for something that's new and fresh and exciting and vibrant and dynamic. And sometimes the old paths just look old. They look like they are not as exciting anymore. What's the new thing? What's the dynamic thing? What's happening in the churches now? What's the latest fad? What's going on? Why don't we find it? What's going on in music? What's going on in church worship services? What's going on in church architecture? What's going on with the latest philosophy of ministry? And really in these first six chapters and even beyond in Jeremiah's prophecy, this one phrase should continue to reverberate for us as it did for Jeremiah and for the people of his day. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And the answer to everything new is everything old. That's the answer. The answer is not to, to follow after with, with hell-bent speed on what's the latest, what's the greatest. I mean, with all the individual believers and churches, we've got to be continually aware of this. Because it's hard, it's a challenge, it's a fight to stay on the same path. Because it seems as though the new is the improved. It seems as though 
that which everybody appears to be clamoring after is where it's happening. So where is that? Listen to the wise words about this very text in Jeremiah from Philip Graham Ryken, the man who replaced as preacher the late James Montgomery Boyce at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. This is what he said about this very verse, Jeremiah 6.16. Western civilization now stands at the crossroads. We have started down the road to destruction, perhaps, but the way of life still stretches out before us. The ethical dilemmas we face show that we are at the crossroads. Will we cherish the lives of the innocent, or will we permit abortion on demand? Will we protect the lives of the, of the defenseless, or will we allow involuntary euthanasia? Will we preserve the sanctity of marriage, or will we tolerate no-fault divorce and homosexual unions? Will we love the true and the beautiful, or will we gaze upon images of sex and violence? These are the questions a culture faces at the crossroads. He goes on to say, the evangelical church is also standing at the crossroads. Will we glorify God in our worship, or will we entertain ourselves? Will we bear witness to the law of God and the grace of the gospel, or will we tone down our message so as not to offend anyone? Will we expound the eternal word of God, or will we seek some new revelation? Will we defend the doctrine of justification by faith alone, or will we add works to grace? These are the questions a church faces when it stands at the crossroads. He says, perhaps you are at a personal crossroads. Some Christians wonder what God wants them to do with their lives. Others contemplate a change of career, the pursuit of a new educational opportunity, the possibility of marriage, or a change of ministry within the church. Still others wrestle with deep spiritual questions, wondering who Jesus Christ is or if the Bible is really true. The thing to do at such times is to recognize that you are standing at the crossroads. Two roads stretch before you. You can go in only one of two directions. Either you can keep going the way you have been going, or you can go down a different road altogether. Your destiny depends upon which road you take. The second step is to ask for directions. When a nation, a church, or an individual comes to a crossroads, it helps to have good road signs, good directions, or a good map. Jeremiah knew what kind of directions to get. Ask for the ancient paths, he said. Ask where the good way is. When Jeremiah asked for the ancient paths, he did not mean to suggest living in the past. He was not nostalgic. He did not propose that old-time religion, quote-unquote. He did not tell God's people to live in the past. Instead, he tells us to walk here and now according to the Word of God. The ancient path is the biblical path. 
The good way is the the way marked out in the scriptures. According to God himself, the problem with the people of Jerusalem was that they had not listened to my words and have rejected my law. Chapter 6, verse 19. In other words, they made a bad choice back at the crossroads. And the reason they made a bad choice was that they rejected God's word. And right here, beloved, right here in verse 16... They're at the crossroads. Stand by those roads, Jeremiah says, and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But notice the last portion of verse 16. But they said what? We will not walk in it. There's a brazenness there. Can you imagine the people of God? Israel, the apple of God's eye? His choice people? And in the very face of one of God's own prophets? And their answer is, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you, saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. As as your pastor, with all the other leaders... All the other servants were very determined, my friends, very determined by the strength which God supplies not to make the wrong choice by veering off the right path. That's my commitment. And that ought to be your commitment too. Things will come at us. The new thing, the new fangled way of doing ministry is going to come. It's already here. So many churches, you know them. The Word of God is not taught. Biblical exposition is a thing of the past. It's passe. But we're not going to yield to that. We're going to continue to make the right choice, the only choice that we should ever desire to make, and that is to follow the old ancient paths called the Word of God. That's always the choice which God calls for. It's always the choice. And it's so simple. Look, look in your Bibles at Joshua chapter 24. This is, this is always what should happen. And this was always what Israel was faced with. They, they were always at a crossroads in, in Joshua 24. You know, Joshua was, was coming to the end. His own death was imminent. And he says in verse 14, those famous words, Joshua 24:14. Now therefore, so what he tells all of Israel, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. That's essentially the same thing that Jeremiah is saying. Look, look for those ancient paths. Don't veer from that. You're veering from that and you're careening off the cliff. 
serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. This is a... An illustration. Even millennia before Jeremiah's prophecy, Joshua was, was challenging them, commanding them, don't, don't veer off, don't serve the, those foreign gods. Look at 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. This is... This is the sad history of Israel. Elijah confronting those with a choice. Here's another choice. Verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping, halting between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, if Yahweh is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer Him a word. Incredible. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, in a sense, is this biography over and over again from the psalmist. Just like 1 Kings, just like Joshua 24. Look at verse 1. And, and notice how many times the word way is mentioned. You know, the ancient paths, the right way, the good way. Psalm 119.1 Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. See, they're not like in Jeremiah's prophecy where they were challenged, walk in the way of the Lord, walk in the law of the Lord, and they are saying, I will not do it. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Look at verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I'm not going to run away from your commandments. I'm going to run to them. Look at verse 35. Lead me in the path, the way of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 59. When I think, of my, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. This is not what sad, tragic history of Israel was, but it's true of this remnant of a person, right? This remnant of Israel, whoever he might be. Look at verse 104. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. What would Jeremiah have done, the weeping prophet, if he'd had... A hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand of his fellow Israelites saying, yeah, that's, that's me too. I hate every false way. Verse 133. 
keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. And even the very last verse, verse 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. What did Jesus say in John 14.6? Quote it for me. I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the way. Look, look for that way. Go that way. Go in that direction. Walk in that way. Hebrews 13.7 Remember those who led you, who spoke the Word of God to you. And when you look at their conduct, imitate their faith. Find the right way. Pursue the right path. Do what you know. Every temptation not only throughout the first year of our existence and whatever other years the Lord may give us, to be challenged from this pulpit and through her people, the church will be tempted to veer off this path and will not, by God's grace, do that. Is that your commitment? We must stay on this path. And the only way it will happen is by God's sheer grace and mercy. Because given to ourselves, we are exactly like those who are being challenged. Look, see, find those ancient paths and you'll find rest for your souls. And our response, more often than we'd like to admit, is, but it's hard. It's challenging. It's taxing. It's too much. I can't do it. Or, I'm not even sure I want to do it. I don't know. I kind of like my sin. I kind of like what I'm doing. I like the buzz. I like the pleasure. I like what I get out of it. And when we live in that place and we pursue that place, when we nurture that place, when we feed that place, we'll come to the very place where standing on the ancient paths and looking at the right way and going that way seems strange to us. Instead of being on that right path, and treading that right way so that when temptation comes to veer off that path, that is the strange thing to which you and I can say, I'm not going that way. I'm not going to pursue the passing pleasures of sin. I would rather endure ill treatment with the people of God than to go that way. Which way are you on tonight? Which path? Do an assessment of your own heart. And if you're not on the right path, if you're not clean, this church, both individually and collectively, will suffer as a result. 
We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And if you're not on the right path, and if you're flirting with sin, this church shall not be blessed. But if you are committed, you're looking, you're asking, you're pursuing the ancient paths, and you're finding that great rest for your souls. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, this path that we're on, both as individuals and as a church, we want, by Your grace and enablement, to walk in the right way. looking at the old way. Because the old paths are always the right paths. Father, protect us from all the fads and fancies that would divert us from the right paths, the ancient paths. Ancient words... We need your ancient words for the right treading of the ancient paths so that we might not trip and stumble and fall headlong into utter destruction. Father, we're a young church. And as we look at the prospects of a new year, May we do the old things and do them well. We are excited about the path we're on. And may we not depart from it because we're finding rest for our souls. Let us reach out to more and more and let us trust you with the results. And when we are veering from the ancient paths, let us pick up the prophecy of Jeremiah and read it anew. And may we be in a holy hatred of those temptations that would cause us to veer off the right path. And may you give us much grace much mercy and strength to stay on the right way. And could it be, Father, that when each of us have gone to glory, you might very well say to us, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your Lord. May you be pleased with us individually and collectively as a ministry as we seek to trust you on the ancient paths. 
for the glory and sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We'll sing now and then we'll pray for our Haiti trip members once again and then we'll close our service.